All right, uh, today, John chapter 1, we're going to look at the call of the disciples. Um, the first five disciples called, uh, there's four named and one unnamed, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, we're going to take a look at what, what it was like for these men to follow Jesus. And there's a lot of implications when it comes to relationship and ego that are wrapped up in these verses. And so let's pray, and then we'll jump into John 1. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks again for this day, and I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see how important relationship is when it comes to our testimonies, but we'll also see how um, a, a humility in our relationships leads people to know you more. And we'll also see some of your humor, Lord, in these passages. We wouldn't see you as a, a benevolent God who is stiff, and um, instead we'll see a loving Father who stepped out of heaven to be with his people, his creation, to show us the way, and to show us what life is really supposed to be like. Help us to see that, Lord. We love you. Amen. We start, I'm going to read all of it, and then we'll break it down. So John 1, starting in 35 to the end of the chapter. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said, you, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we see the call of four disciples. There's actually five. Um, and we see it start off in this moment. Now, we talked about it last week, last week a little bit. Even though it says the next day, I don't believe that these are chronological days. These are, these are more like vignettes, the different scenes. Because if we take the rest of the Gospels and put them all together... After Jesus is baptized, he goes for 40 days in the desert, and then he's tempted. Then we see from the other Gospels, he spends time in Nazareth. He spends time around Galilee. There's an instance where he, um, he casts demons out. There's an instance where he heals somebody. There's another instance where he's in the synagogue, and they want to kill him. They kick him out of his hometown. So all those things happen in between the baptism of Jesus and this moment. So this is, in all likelihood, a couple months later. 
So you have John the Baptist baptized him. He's tempted. He's beginning his ministry in and around the Sea of Galilee, around Capernaum, up into Nazareth. That He's all in this area, and then he's coming back to where John the Baptist is. So he's, he's, he's doing his ministry back towards John the Baptist. So that's the scene that's happened. So you have John the Baptist here with some disciples, and then Jesus walks back through. It's been a couple months since the baptism. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Very interesting dynamic happening here. These are disciples of John the Baptist. And as soon as the one he's proclaimed... Now think about what's happened in the last couple months. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, whether these two disciples of John were there witnessing this baptism of Jesus or not. Don't you think for a couple months John the Baptist is probably talking about this? Like, hey, I, I, the Messiah, I baptized him, I saw it, like I heard God speak that he's pleased with his son, like I saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, like, you guys, he's here. He's here. The one I've told you about, the one I've said is coming, I just saw him. And crazy enough, he's my cousin. I know the guy. And so then when Jesus comes back and John says, behold, the Lamb of God, these two disciples just immediately, I'm following Jesus. This is pretty unique. Um, in, a, in some places, um, I think we have tried to be good at this as a church, that if our church isn't a good fit, if there's nuances here, if you don't like me, it's not a fault of everyone here. You don't like someone here. That's their fault. That's not on me. Don't blame me. Like there's... That we, there are multiple churches in this town that we have great relationship with, that I love and respect the leaders there and the people there, that we can point you in a different direction. If we're not the place for you, then that's okay. That doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean we can't, we're still part of the body of Christ. We can point you in another direction. If we start being the kind of church that says, well, they left. How dare they? They were ours. Oh, I can't believe they went to that church. That pastor over there, he's a moron compared to Mike, which is true. But how dare, right? Like if we're so tight gripped around, the point is Christ. And if a pastor, a leader, a church gets angry or upset, if, I can't believe, how dare they? That's not, the point is to point people to Christ. That's why I've always been, I'm, not to a person, not to an author, I am always leery of a book that comes out that is in the Christian world. The rest of the world, it doesn't matter to me. But in the Christian world, a book comes out where the pastor puts his face or her face on the cover. To me, I'm not saying, I, you, you literally can't judge a book by its cover, but when it comes to those, I tend to judge them starting off. And I know that's not okay. But if, I, if my goal, if my job is to point people to Jesus, I don't know that should be my name in lights or my face in lights. Now, is there the counter argument to that is, well, if you have a, a following, if you have you know, a popularity, then you can point people to Jesus. I get that. But there has to be a humility in the messenger. That is because, that's for me as a leader in a church, and it's for all of you as leaders in the church, as people in the church. Your job, your goal is to point people to Jesus continuously, not to a person. I, I will let you down. I have let, I'm scanning the crowd, I'm waiting for all of you to nod at me. I've let multiple people down. 
in this church. I will forget things. I'll fail at things. I'll say stupid things. I will fail you. That has to be expected. But if, if we're all pointing people to Christ, even as we fail each other, we can point people to the one who will never let us down. And so here's John the Baptist. He has a following. He's got this rough and tough group of people that are hanging out with him. He has a specific group of people that he's paved the way for. He's lived life with them. He's been next to the river with. They've done ministry with. The Pharisees have come after him. They've come together. Like they're a, they're a group of people bound together in service and commitment to God. And when the Messiah arrives, they don't hesitate. John, you're cool, but that's God in flesh. That's the Messiah. That's the one we've been waiting for. Peace. And they go. They're out. In an instant. And you don't see John going, but, but I spent three years with you. I spent time with you. We suffered together. We served together. How dare you leave me? I'm your Messiah. That's the lamb. There he goes. Go follow him. So immediately they go to follow Jesus. They take off. They go right to follow Jesus. Now John had a, a specific air about him. Rough, camel hair, was not prim and proper. His dad was a priest, but he was not. He's probably the rebellious preacher's kid who loves the Lord but isn't going to follow all the rules, right? Which, that's not going to problem with my kids because I don't follow the rules either, so they're just going to be like me. But that becomes their, they're after, they, they sought John the Baptist because there was something pure and raw, something about him, something that drew them to him. He wasn't wrapped up in the tabernacle and the robes and all the stuff. There was something about him that drew them to him. So this group of people, we'll see pretty quickly, you got a couple groups of fishermen. These are rough, hardworking, out there in the sun, busting it, strong. Like you're not going to be... That's not who they're attracted. It's not who they're drawn to. So John the Baptist has a crew around him of his disciples who are like him. The rough, gruff, blunt, to the point. That's who they are. So when they turn to Jesus, that same personality goes with them. So you see this immediate uh, connection. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So John is standing there. There's the lamb. Jesus is walking by, and all of a sudden, these two guys go. And so then Jesus goes, well, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you thinking? And they don't ask him the list of questions that they clearly would have had. Instead, they say, where are you staying? Uh, we're going to hang out with you for a while. We're going we're to be with you for a while. Now, we know some of the questions these disciples had. We know the list of things they were looking for because of what we know further into the Gospels. They want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. They want to know who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man. They want to know who's going to have the same power and authority as Jesus. They want to know how we're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. What's this world going to look like? They have, they have questions. They're not just wherever you, wherever you want us to go, we'll go. They have questions. So they ask, where are you staying? Which gives the implication they're going to be with him for a while. And so we see, Jesus says, come and you'll see. He didn't just say, well, I'm staying over at Jim Bob's house. Why don't you come over for some jambalaya? We'll have a pot of good food. There's no jambalaya in the Middle East. Okay, never mind. He says, come and see. 
The invitation is, I have things to do, just come ahead. I'll spend time with you, but it's going to be more on his terms, not theirs. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. They go to where he's staying, and they hang out. The tenth hour is about four o'clock in the afternoon. So they stayed with him overnight, probably. Got a room at the same inn, crashed on the floor, couch surfed, whatever you call it now. They hung out with him overnight. So think about four o'clock in the afternoon, come and see. So that's an invitation from Jesus. I'm not just going to answer your questions. Let's go hang out. Let's get to know each other. So four o'clock, they clearly would have broken bread. It would have been rude to have a guest and not have a meal with them. And so they would have had a meal, probably talked into the wee hours of the night, and then slept in the same room like immediate roommates. And then the next morning, Andrew goes looking for his brother. That's a depth of relationship beginning to form fast. And I know we've all been in those places where we're, we're connected to somebody, and even if it's like a conference or a thing or a, a, a family vacation or some friends come over or something happens, or I don't know, and you have these fast connections because you have a common goal, a common purpose. You have, you're achieving a certain goal. You're going for something. So these disciples are waiting for this moment. They're following John because they're seeking something. And Jesus says, come, hang on with me. I'll tell you. So you imagine the evening conversation. They had all these questions. They had all these things. They knew the Torah. Um, every child went to Hebrew school to learn the Old Testament, at least the first five books, up until the age of 10, 11, 12. So they knew the scriptures. They were around. And then they get to hang out with Jesus. And the next morning, Andrew goes looking for his brother. Now, we know there are two disciples, from what we just read, two disciples of John see Jesus and follow him. This one is named Andrew, who is the silent disciple. He goes and gets Peter, so he's not there. Then we're going to see Philip, then we're going to see Nathaniel. None of them are there. Who's there? It's John. It's the author of this gospel. John and Andrew are the first two disciples that encounter Jesus. Come with me. John just doesn't talk about himself, and not till later when he says, I'm the one Jesus loved. But this, in the beginning, he's just silent in this. So John's there. Andrew goes and gets his brother, Simon Peter. He goes and gets him. So we see immediately... This is growing. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. So you have the power of testimony happening multiple times already. We're going to continue to see that. John the Baptist spent time with these men. Spent time with these men, helped them see what the scriptures were saying, helped them see the Messiah's coming, helped them maybe even begin to see that the kingdom of God is not in a temple, the kingdom of God is different. They're beginning to open their eyes to these things. They've been trained in the scriptures. They're not priests, but they know their Bibles, they know the Torah. And so they're beginning to connect the dots. And then when John says, that's the one, out of their respect and their knowledge and relationship with John the Baptist, they don't hesitate. 
I know John. I trust John. I know John would lead me astray. I know what the scriptures say. John says that's the Messiah. That's the lamb. I'm out. They go straight for Jesus. Jesus, we, we need to talk. Come, follow me. Come, come. Let's, let's have a meal. Let's hang out. Let's be together for a while. And then the next morning, immediately, doesn't... I'm assuming it's the next morning. It could have been late that night, but I don't think so. He goes and gets his brother. Simon, Simon, the one we've talked about on the fishing boat over and over and over again. When we're contemplating dragging the nets in, the one, the one John talked about, the one he's here, I hung out, he's the one, let's go. So what happens? He brought him to Jesus. Hey, hey, come on, come on, let's go, Simon. Simon shows up, Jesus looks at him and says... Simon, son of John, you should be known as Peter from this point forward. That's amazing. But it was the power of testimony and relationship that's driving this. They trusted each other immensely, and it drove them to Jesus. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, I have to admit... Very early in my faith, two weeks ago, um, there's a time when, I, when you don't sit and contemplate these things, I think sometimes we, we miss stuff. In the daily reading plans, um, sometimes we don't do the deep dive. I am not opposed to reading through the Bible in a year. I'm not at all. But some, I have the joy and the pleasure of having to dig into a few select passages each and every week and it is a joy. I have to admit to all of you that there was a time when I felt like what Jesus was doing here is just walking by calling people like the Pied Piper. Jesus has a couple people. He walks by. Philip is just kind of hanging out, maybe taking a nap, kind of leaning down. Maybe he's got a headache or migraine. And Jesus walks by and goes, Philip, follow me. And Philip goes, well, of course. Yes, sir. I'll just follow you. I have a job and a family. I'm just going to, let's go. Where are we going? They don't really think that's what's happening here. I always thought, and part of me, I think still that's kind of cool, that people are willing to throw everything down and follow the Lord. I think there's some sermons I've heard preached like that. But I think there's more going on here than what I ever realized. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The two brothers. Then we have Philip. Then we're going to see Nathaniel. These guys all knew each other. We know they're all fishermen. This is more like um, buddies from the high school football team that knew each other from the trials of football, knew each other through some event, knew each other through school. They lived in the same town, the same neighborhood. They trusted. They loved each other. They were around each other. We know they're all fishermen. Their families all had commercial fishing businesses that were together, out on the boats. Hey, what are you doing? Philip. Hey, Andrew. Catch any fish today? I don't know. Standing around the gut pile as they're, you know, gutting fish and taking them to market and they're talking and they're playing and they're having a good time afterwards and they're around and then they're on the fishing boat contemplating what they knew about the Lord. The coming Lord. What they know about the Old Testament. Do you remember when we learned in 
Hebrew school. What do you think? Did you, did you hear what the rabbi said at the synagogue? This I don't. What do you think? Like constant. There's no cell phones to be wrapped up in. There's no social media. There's no mass transport. Their lives are all locked in in this location together. And so for Jesus to then have Andrew and to then have Peter, and we know John's there as well, and Jesus decides to go to Galilee. So these guys have been hanging out with John the Baptist around the Jordan, and then they go to Galilee, and as they get to close to home, to the fishing village, they see Philip. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Jesus walks by and says, you guys are all buddies. Follow me. And Philip goes, well, there's Andrew and Peter. We've been talking about the Messiah forever. That's, I'm in. I'm in. He follows. The power of the relationship that Christ has formed with John and Andrew in that first night, and then it flows into the friendships and the connections he's had that these men have had with each other, and they follow. These aren't lazy people, idle people just looking for something to do. These are men who work family businesses, who've been looking for something more. And when Jesus arrives, they feel it, they see it, they trust in the testimony of their friends, and they go. They go. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. I think this is where the humor begins in this passage. Nathanael, Philip gets Nathanael and says, We found him who Moses spoke of. You wouldn't just say, There's a cool miracle worker coming around. There's this cool guy that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. You want to go fight? Let's go. What's he say? We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. All that we learned in the Torah, all that we learned, all that we have heard, it's here. It's here. Nathaniel, in his, we could say maybe skepticism, says, any good come from Nazareth? Now, we know that the prophets would say Bethlehem, all these things about where the king's coming from, but not Nazareth. And so is this a, a rivalry thing? Maybe. Um, where I grew up, there are, there are four high schools in our county, and we all have massive rivalries. Um, I grew up and went to North Knox High School. Amber went to South Knox, and then both of us in eighth grade through all kinds of stuff ended up in the city school. And we both grew up with hatred for the city school, because that's where city folk lived. Even though Vincennes, Indiana is all country. Like it's farmland. Like I taught at the high school I graduated from. There was literally corn growing 100 yards from the school. So I always laughed when kids in the school would like pick on the rural school, more rural schools. And I go, you know, this isn't Chicago, right? You live in Vincennes, Indiana. You really got nothing to say. Just be quiet. And, but the, the basketball rivalry, oh my gosh. Like, it's, it's palpable. Within 50 miles of the school I graduated from, there are at least 25 high schools to play basketball against. It's very weird living here when, like, Eli had wrestling last year. And it's like, oh, we have to go to Casper. We're driving two hours for a wrestling meet? That's dumb. 
In Vincennes, you would go 15 minutes to this school, wrestle them. You'd have a duo. If you drove two hours, that's to Indianapolis from where I grew up. So you went from a rural community to a, a metro center, and you would drive by at least 45 to 50 high schools to get to that one. It seems crazy. So I don't know how, I, I, I know the, the rivalry is intense with us and some schools in Cheyenne, but our, our local Knox County rivalries were insane. So I don't know if this is kind of the rivalry. We know they said they're from Bethsaida, if there's a rivalry between Nazareth and Bethsaida, but there's definitely some poking happening here. I don't think it's a literal, well, I'm steeped in the scriptures and nothing good comes from Nazareth. I don't believe that Moses spoke of Nazareth. I think this is more of Philip going to Nathaniel saying, it's him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Really? Nazareth? I don't think anything good comes from there. And then we see the reaction from Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That's the poke back from Jesus. That's not just a proclamation. Nathanael, you're amazing. You're a scholar. You have no ill will in your heart. You're awesome. It's a poke back. You just said, I came from a know-nothing town. Oh, you must be pure of heart, you Israelite of no deceit. You wouldn't make fun of my hometown, would you? He's poking at him. Nathaniel has an off-color poke dig. Jesus pokes back. And then we have this amazing moment. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me? Oh, you think you know me? And he responds, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Immediately, says, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. Now, a cultural phrase norm in this time in the world, in the Hebrew world, was that to be under the fig tree means that you are studying the Scriptures. It's not a, a, it could be a literal sitting under the fig tree, but it was known in the culture that if you were said to be sitting under the fig tree, you were having time with the Lord, a quiet time with the Lord, studying the Scriptures, and so Jesus speaks right into his heart. Even though there's, there's playfulness coming back and forth between them, he then says, before Philip called you, I know that you were studying the scriptures. And I look at the phrase, I saw you. There's a depth to that that's greater than just, I mean, think about it. He didn't see him. They weren't in location together. Nathaniel would have immediately felt this is the Messiah, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent one saying to me, I know your heart, and I know your heart's desires. You long to see the Messiah in the Scriptures. I know your heart for the Lord. I saw into you is probably a more accurate phrase. And Nathaniel immediately says, you're the one. You're the one. There's playfulness, but even in the playfulness, there's trust in the relationship that he has with Philip. There's trust there, and he says, ah, go check this guy out. Okay, we'll, we'll go do it. And immediately there's some banter Sometimes that kind of banter can be very negative. But can you imagine a bunch of fishermen, Jesus, hanging out? You're already seeing a picture into this kind of banter that Jesus has back with them. Can you imagine what those campfires were like? I don't think they were just sitting around seeing the Psalms all the time. We'll see as we go to the road. We see the walk to Emmaus. We see other things. Jesus has a consistent playfulness that is a, that's with these men. He has a great time with them. They have a great relationship. But we have here Jesus saying, I know you, Nathaniel. 
I know the depths of your heart. I know what you're looking for. And it closes. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? This is, again, a little bit of a poke. Some humor here. You think that's cool? You ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait. Just wait, Nathaniel. He tells him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And then he quotes out of Daniel. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He goes from, follow me, I got some wisdom. You know your friends have shared this with you. You know your family shared with you. You know this is happening. Oh, by the way, you're going to see things of a spiritual nature that you can't even fathom. Can you, can, you, can you get the, I, I know not all of you are men in this room. I understand that. But there is a, amongst athletes, close friends, um, mission trip, shared suffering, work co-workers, there grows a relationship and a banter that often happens. Doesn't there? there there's a, real, so is, you see the playfulness back and forth of Nathaniel and Jesus? Nothing good comes in Nazareth. I've seen you. How'd you see me? He makes a proclamation. And then you get this. So because I know that you are studying the scripture, you believe? Just wait. I got a lot more to show you. And he says, follow me. Come and see. I got a lot to show you. Are you ready for this? Then he tells them, I'm going to open you up to things you've never imagined. You've only seen in the scriptures. I'm going to show them to you. Pretty powerful moment. Pretty powerful moment. A couple questions. I think this is something that the disciples were actively engaging in when they were around John the Baptist. Um, we see later in the Gospels that the disciples, in the midst of their tension, in the midst of um, loss and fear when Jesus is he's not around, they go back to fishing. So in a three-year time period... Um, it doesn't make sense that they would sell all of their livelihood away and then be able to just go right back to it. Now, these are either family businesses that they can jump right into, or they are men of enough stature in their fishing business that they can leave it for a season and let their employees run it. When you see a couple disciples in John and Andrew hanging out with John the Baptist, following him, they have to have some kind of a financial stability to be able to do that. And to see the disciples then go back to their fishing business when times are tough or when they need it. like Even when Jesus is sailing back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, have you ever thought, where'd they get those boats? They just steal them? Is this like Middle Eastern pre-Uber? Like where'd those come from? Well, they had connections and maybe family businesses and they could, hey, we need the boat. We're going to take it over. We're going to... So the first thing you have to look at is these guys clearly weren't... They weren't priestly material. They weren't rabbis. They knew the scriptures to an extent and they loved the Lord and they were seeking more of him. They wanted to know him deeper. They were hardworking men, commercial fishermen. Um, They were rough, kind of rough and tough. They weren't of the priestly class. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene, they're drawn to him. They're drawn to this, I want more. It's not the temple. It's not the priests. This, look at this guy, John the Baptist. So they hang out with John the Baptist. 
And then as their relationship grows with John the Baptist, he points them to Jesus. Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't go immediately to them. He has the temptation. He's in the synagogues. And then he comes to them. He's building a crew of people that are hungry for more of God. And he finds them. He finds them along the Sea of Galilee. He finds them along the Jordan River. He finds them as men who are willing to walk away from their livelihoods, but yet they weren't destitute in doing so. So these are guys who are financially secure. They know the Torah. They know God. They're clearly faithful men, but they were still hungry. They hadn't found what they were looking for yet. And so I roll that to us. If we're chasing after a multitude of things and we feel unsatisfied in that chase, is it because perhaps we're not looking for the right thing? I'm not saying you don't work hard for the people you work for. I'm not saying that you don't get a job or have a job or start a business or get a degree. Or, but if that's the end... you're always going to fall short. These guys had security, I believe. They weren't just homeless bums hanging out with John going, well, we've got nothing better to do. Let's go hang out with Jesus. They had families and commitments and career paths that they could have followed into their families for generations to come. But they were hungry for something more. So what do we chase as a culture today? Fame, fortune, security, independence, Health, likes, family, adventure. Like, what do we chase? None of those in and of themselves, we live in a college town, chasing an education. If I just get enough schooling, it'll all make sense. Maybe, but probably not. Are you really going to come up with a unified theory and put it all together? Well, I kind of know that one already. It's Jesus. But it's a whole other conversation. Like, what are you chasing? For me, um, the thing I chased for a long time was just was love. You know most of my testimony. A lot of you do. My parents divorced when I was 11. My dad left and went to Arizona um, to work with a cousin. And then my mom, he was out of the house for six months. And then they were talking on the phone and decided to move closer to be closer to him so that he would have an influence in our lives, my brother and I. So my mom packed us up and moved us to Arizona. Um, my mom, um, I think, was looking for reconnection. That didn't happen. And so we were there about nine months and then it wasn't good for us. And we ended up back in Indiana at that stinking city school. Um, and then my dad works for a while in Arizona, works in California for a while, then he ends up back in Vincennes. And all throughout this time, I'm growing into my teenage life. I've been in three schools in about nine months. I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to find a place to belong. And to me, what I, what I felt was that love was conditional. I would be a good son, and then I would receive love. Um, I would be a good friend, or I'd be good on the football team, even though it wasn't really possible. Um, I would be good at these things, and I would receive love. I would receive friendship and companionship and affection, and, and then hit my sophomore year of high school, and I was like, well, 
girls became a thing. Well, I'm going to chase love in them. And that became a string of relationships that weren't healthy for me or for the girls that I was with. Continued to chase and chase and chase. For me, love had always been something of a condition. And then Christ captured my heart my senior year of high school. Doesn't mean the struggle isn't still there. There's still a longing to be loved, to be liked, to be... And it has some, some negative consequences. Sometimes it's hard for me to speak the hard things or to have the hard conversations because I don't want people to not like me. Uh, it's hard sometimes to dive into those places where I need to speak the truth of Christ, but you might not like me after I say it, and I don't know. I don't want them to like me, and I, I don't want people to not like me. So for me, there's been a continual quest since I can promise you the age of 11 to find love and affection. It's a driving force in me. And anytime I redirect it away from Christ, it can become very bad very fast. I have to consistently tell myself, stay in the word, stay in prayer that my identity is in Christ. He loves me regardless of all these things. I can stand strong in these moments because it doesn't mean my world's going to shatter when someone is mad at me. Or, But that's been a constant theme in my life since I was early teen. What are you looking for? I don't tend to chase um, financial gain or security because as long as we're together in this and you like me and I like you, we'll get through anything. But others chase those things. I don't chase health. I like to eat bad food. I try to, I try to be healthy. I try to, but I'm not, uh, I've never had six-pack abs, and it's probably never going to happen. What I tell people is I'm just keeping myself trained for a knife fight. Because you get stabbed and you have six-pack abs, you're hurt. Me, it's just going to kind of, it's going to be a poke. So I'm just training for combat. I don't chase that stuff. That's not, that's not part, but how are you wired? I, I don't have to chase beauty or looks because I already have it. <laughs> Nobody? <That's... laughs> but I'm driven by, am I going to be loved? Does God love me? Does my wife love me? My kids love me? My friends? My family? It, am I liked? What are you chasing? These disciples were longing after connection with the Lord. They were longing for it. No matter what else was coming their way, they longed to be with God. Do you have that longing? Because that longing is what's going to get you through all the other stuff. And lastly, oh, it died. Can you advance that for me? One more. Jesus has a simple call. Come and see. As we see the disciples and their relationships, what they were looking for became answered by relationship. They're all longing for this, and the answers are found in the community of people they had close. They found it in relationship. That's how we as a church and as a community here in Laramie, Wyoming, are going to help people see the truth of God. Yes, there's a time for apologetics. Yes, there's a time for digging into the Scripture. There's a time for pointing things out to people. There's a time for correcting bad theology. There are times for that. 
But those times are most effective when they're done in relationship. If I just stood out on the sidewalk with maybe a sign or an arrow pointing at me and started preaching what is sin, what isn't sin, what you should be doing, I could see into people's lives. I started writing notes to everybody in here or people I know outside of here of how they could be better if they knew Jesus. And you have these bad things. Are they ever going to receive those? No. It's never received like that. It's received by saying, you know me. We've been friends for years. You know me. We've done this together. We've been here together. We've suffered through this together. I was there when this happened. I was there when we did this. You know me. And I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to know about where I find my hope. I want you to know how I can get through these things that we're struggling with and not be crushed by it. You saw it from Andrew and John's first encounter with Jesus after John the Baptist says, he's the one. Then immediately, Andrew goes and tells Peter. They get together. They go on the road to Galilee. Philip is there. Hey, Philip, come follow me. All right. Why'd Philip get in line? Because of his friends. He trusted their testimony. Well, Peter is pretty outspoken and brash. If he's in, then this must be the one. Even Nathaniel and his banter. Once he feels it, it was the relationship that got him to go see Jesus. That's how it is for you and for me and everybody in our lives that we love and care about and want them to know hope. It's going to be in relationship. And in that relationship, when you get to those hard conversations of what is sin, what isn't, is this okay, is this not okay, the Bible says this, I'm confused by that, they'll look you in the eye and trust you because you have a relationship with them. And when you tell them the hard things... They're not going to take it as, you're just a bigot, hypocrite, evil, you think I'm... Instead, like, well, I, I know him, and he likes to hang out with me, and if I was so far gone, he wouldn't... I don't know, and I see his life, I see how he has hope, I see how she has hope, I see how... I think I might... Maybe this is right. And then you get to walk them into the presence of Christ. May take months, may, might take years, could be an instant. But Jesus' call, Chuck Coleman wrote a book, The Master Plan of Discipleship. It's a tiny little pamphlet. And he breaks down like discipleship practices and essentially says, you love Jesus, you want them to love Jesus, bring them along with you. Come and see. You want to see what it's like to have faith and hope? Come hang out with me. Come over to the house. Let's go talk to this person. Let's go chop wood for Chris Floyd. Let's go hit the mountains together. Let's go work together. How can I help your family out? How can we do these things together? Just come. It doesn't have to be, we need to sit down for an hour every week, and we need to open up. We're going to go verse by verse through this, and we're going to... There's a time for that. There's great joy in that. But there's also the importance of relationship. That they know and trust you. So when you tell them, the Lord's called us to come and see. So come with me. They'll be changed. And that's the foundation of these disciples. The relationship with Jesus. They knew the scriptures. They knew each other. They built a relationship with Jesus. And even though they had their faults, they had things they didn't understand, at the end of the day, the end of this three-year ministry, 
they spread the truth of Jesus to the world. And it began with their relationship with each other and Jesus. So where do you sit today? Do you need a deeper relationship with Jesus? Are you pretty secure in that relationship and you need to open yourself up to outsiders? To bring them into that relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you for this time we have together as we wrap up John chapter 1. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to see where we kind of fit in that spectrum. Do we need to walk closer with you? Are we in a position where we can bring others into that walk? And I think sometimes, Lord, those go hand in hand. I think we grow in our relationship with you as we help others get to know you as well. So I pray that you'll help us look around our lives and the people that are near to us that we can bring into a place where we can say, come and see. And maybe that's a a hobby, maybe that's work, maybe that's um, something we like to do, maybe it's just a connection through a neighbor or someone else. Help us to be open, Lord, to open our homes, to open our hearts, to let people in so that they would come to know you. And let us be a consistent place that pulls people in the direction of hope and away from fear and anxiety. I know we all feel that pressure, but I also feel this immense hope that in such a time as this, people that have a clear confidence, no matter what comes our way, fires, politics, or pandemics, that we have an unshakable faith that you're for us, that you love us, and you'll never let us go, that message is even more needed now than ever. Help us to be messengers of that message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.